This is Profiles in Risk. Hosted by Nick Lamparelli. Every week, we interview those who risk life, limb, fortunes, career, and reputation. And those who work behind the scenes who look to protect and enlighten us about risk. You can find the show notes and other insurance-related content at insnerds.com. That's I-N-S-N-E-R-D-S dot com. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Profiles in Risk. My name is Nick Lamparelli. Tonight, my guest host is Carly Burnham of insnerds.com. Hi, Carly. Hey, Nick. Uh, we have a very special episode today. We have uh, not one, but two guests. I would like to introduce O.P. Almaraz and Tim Bauer of Allied Restoration Services. Allied Restoration is a general contractor providing commercial and residential losses with solutions for fire, water, and wind damage, mold remediation, water extraction, board-ups, and temporary roofing. O.P. is the CEO of Allied Restoration, and Tim is the VP and director of of client services. And I saw something, Tim, that said like chief motivational officer or something like that. Uh, what's, what's your role there at Allied? So yeah, at Allied, I serve as the vice president and director of client relations. And then I'm also, uh, uh, OP and I also own a company providing consulting to restoration companies named Restoration Mastery, where uh, there were, were partners. I'm chief motivational officer is what I've taken to calling myself with Restoration Mastery. I love that. That's a that's a title that uh, Tony would love very much. <laughs> right on. Let's go. Yeah. So, guys, in your own words, um, you know, I gave a description of Allied Restoration, but you know, um, in your own words, what do you do? You know, what is your mission, and uh, how do you how do you provide value to the insurance ecosystem? Yeah. You know, uh, Nick and Carly, thank you guys for having us. This is Opie. Um, you know, in my own words, I, I think, you know, what Allied Restoration is about is, I'll, I'll put this into a, a, this kind of a term here, is uh, a friend of mine told me years ago, he grew up on a farm. And when they, the, the dog would have a litter, they would always keep only one of the puppies and the rest of them they would give away. And the way that they figured out which puppy to keep is they would look for the runt of the litter. They look, they're looking for the one that has to work the hardest, the one that has to work the hardest to go get the food, to be involved, to, to stay ahead, or to keep up. That's the dog and the puppy they keep, and they give away all the other dogs. And the reason for that is that they know that these are the, the runts, are the ones that are going to work the hardest in the field, on the farm. And when I heard that story, I thought, you know what? That describes like all of us at Allied Restoration. These are the employees. Like we are runts. We are runts of the litter. <laughs> you know, the ones that you know that we don't have a college degree. You know, uh, we're we're just basically we work really hard and we deliver the best service we possibly can. So if I had to wrap this up, it's like we're a tribe that, you know, a tribe of runts, a tribe of runts that work tirelessly to together to try and deliver the best plans experience we can to our customers. That's kind of how I see us as individuals and uh, collectively we work our tails off to provide that. I, I'm curious, Tim, uh, are you offended at all being called a runt? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, 
I wish I could say I wish I could say it was the first time uh, that I've been called that. I mean, I wish I could say it was the first time. I wish I could say it was the first time this afternoon I've been called that. But you know, in truth, uh, you know what I think what OP is alluding to is the fact that um, we're kind of you know if you think about every great sports movie, right? Well, there's a format that that great sports movie follows, right? They get that team of of ruffians like. You've got the kid who's like really like broken, but he can like hit harder than anybody else. And you've got the kid that, you know, is really socially awkward, but has that like that baseball swing that can just literally like crush the stitching off the ball. Right. So you, you that's what I think uh, OP is really alluding to is that we just have this team of incredible, you know, underperformers from the outside. You know, at the risk of sounding cliche, we we really look for like the money ball style Staff, the people with something to prove, because the people that have something to prove are oftentimes the ones that do. So well, that, that's really what we look for. Yeah. Well, that, that was going to be one of my final questions. Was you know what do you what do you look for when you hire? But uh, why wait? You know, let's I, you know we can go right into that. So so Allied does restoration services. So what type of people are you looking for? And 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 you know what I I think. To, to go along with that particular question, after you get them in, then how do you get them to be, how do you get them to change from a runt to, uh, you know, to, you know, come out swinging and, and provide, uh, provide the value that, yeah. that you guys are providing to the industry? Yeah. You know, those, those are great questions. And, you know, we don't, we don't go out and look for broken people. Uh, but we know that, you know, many of us as human beings are broken to some degree, right? There's something that's wrong with all of us, right? No one's perfect. And so what happens is when we, when we go off, when we go looking for people, we're looking, one of the main ingredients is hunger. Like we want people that are hungry. And so if, if people, and we had, and Tim could share this story, we have a, a guy who, um, who came looking for a job and he was great. He had all the qualifications. He was an expert in superintending, but he was passive as heck. And he made it real clear, like, hey, I want to be home by, you know, 4.30 every day. And I, I really don't want to answer my phone uh, on the weeknights or weekends. And, and he wasn't hungry to do or prove anything to anyone. And so we thought, look, this is not going to be a good fit. We have a bunch of hungry people here that are working hard collectively. And we have to protect the culture and know that if we bring someone like this, and although they, they would bring a lot of value to, you know, one or two clients, they are, they are going to bring the culture down. Um, and, and, you know, how do we keep them, uh, how do we grow them? I think Tim, you can answer that question as far as, because the reality yeah. is they come in with hunger and then we start to have to cultivate them and form them and, uh, and teach them. Absolutely. And I, I'll say that what I'm about to say, I think applies not only to our industry, but almost every industry and almost every time of, uh, type of hiring that anyone would do. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the work of, uh, Dr. Daniel Kahneman or Dr. Amos Tversky with respect to the way that human beings make decisions. But um, one of Dr. Kahneman's uh, first research projects in particular was for the uh, Israeli military. And what he found is that people, they were choosing the Israeli military officers based on, you know, uh, how tall they were and, you know, how good looking they were and how, you know, charismatic and, you know, they almost had to be like these enigmatic cool figures, almost like if you guys have seen Moneyball, in fact, uh, Daniel Kahneman's research is what um, the original baseball scientist, Bill James, based a lot of his research on. 
um, were these things that he found. And so what Dr. Kahneman did is he actually developed a questionnaire, a rubric, whereby he was able to make a more intelligent decision uh, about which people he would peg for officership within, within the Israeli military. And his surveys and, and studies are still being used, I think it's 50 years later, which is really fascinating. And so at Allied, what we do before, before we even look at someone's resume, the first thing we do is we test their personality, which is completely counterintuitive to most hiring practices, right? Like when you think about what most people require in a job, they require a certain amount of experience, you know, a certain type of degree, you know, and, and I don't know, like, I, I don't mean to undermine the value of a college education, but if you've ever hired an intern who had a marketing degree, you'd find that, you know, they know about as much as marketing as like someone who watched a five minute YouTube video about marketing. Like it's, there's not very much practical education in a lot of these things. A lot of people just kind of coast by, you know, if you ask people what they remember from college, they might remember which beer they liked, right? So, you know, it's not, unfortunately, education doesn't always get us all the way there. So we look at personality and we know exactly, we've identified the types of personalities we would look for in each style position. We've identified the kind of person that would be successful within our culture. So to kind of speak to our culture, we, we don't call ourselves a team. We call ourselves a tribe. Allied restoration is very, very tribal, which means that it's not completely uncommon for our team to, we, we meditate together. You know, we sing together. We we slam on tables together. We have, you know, we have a, a rolling Snapchat all the time where I think we probably text and communicate amongst each other more than we do our friends and family. We are very, very close um, all of the time. And so we build that tribe into our culture and that really fosters what we're looking for. Because the, the fact of the matter is, is if, if somebody is not hunting with the tribe, if they're not, if they're not playing full out, the tribe is going to remove them. It's not even, we, we don't even ever have to terminate or correct people. Because yeah. one of our one of our tribal members will say, "Hey, you're not you're not stepping up here. You're not delivering on a service promise that we have," and they will actually correct each other. I, we we actually received a recording recently from one of our estimators, who's just a salesperson, right? He's just a sales guy. Yeah. And we, he recorded a call with one of our superintendents, and it was amazing to hear like his commitment to the company and how he's correcting somebody not not in a not not in a disrespectful way, but in a like, hey, you need to measure up, you need to step up, and it's really it's really great to see when stuff like that happens. How did you come to realize that culture would be one of the most important uh, tenets of your company? Mm, great question, great question. You know, uh, Tim and I met back, ooh, I think fifteen or or plus years ago. Um, I was the vice president of a, of a small company, restoration company, doing three million dollars a year. And um, I was I was pulling in after a couple of years two million dollars myself with one assistant, and uh, then the owner of the company says, "Hey, we're doing five million dollars now, and I'd like to see what you can do with the whole company. Let's let's duplicate what you've done." And, and at that moment, I let him know. I said, "Look, if we do this, you know, I'm a servant number one to all my clients." And so I can see that the people that are in the business on the other part of the business that I'm not involved in, um, they're not driven this way. They're not about the service. And if you're willing to, to change the culture, then it has to be a service-oriented culture and be prepared to lose some people maybe, but I'll do my best to pull them all in. And within a year, Carly, we, we lost um, two main people that decided to, to leave because they were not willing to play full out and, and provide the type of service that we knew our clients were begging for. You know, mm -hmm. our clients, which when they're going through a claim, the customer needs information. 
not, not yesterday. If they get home and they have a question about what's going on with their home, it's a five-minute phone call at the most. But many of the people didn't want to be disturbed or bothered by it. And then that transferred into a phone call to the insurance company and then turned into a complaint the next day when that could have been resolved. Right. So it was really, I learned to, to build that culture. Tim came on board afterwards. And we basically just began to, to teach the sales process and to teach that really this is, this is a human game. You know, we deal with construction and restoration, but really it's a people game. And if we learn how to deal with people, starting with us, each other in our business, in, 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 our, in our employee relationship, then we're going to be able to, to take that respect and honor and move that over to our customers as well. And so that began to develop and we start to, with, with Allied, um, we started off really small. There was only two of us, my brother and I, but it was little by little that as we brought people in, we taught them that, you know, first of all, we respect each other. We play full out. Number two, our, our client and our homeowner is uh, by far the most important. And, um, and we just, we repeat, we rinse and repeat. And through that, as, as we all work hard, like Tim said earlier, everyone begins to fit in. And if people don't fit in, Carly, they let themselves out. They really do. And they have in the past, but like, hey, this is too much for me. I'm going to step out. And we say, great. Thank you. And now they become available to our competitors, which is a blessing because they'll go and, and do something over there. You know what I'm saying? So, um, Tim, how would you describe that as far as being able to, uh, to develop that culture? Yeah, so I, I think that when you're, when you're bringing a team to come together, or in a, our case, a tribe, it's not, it's not dissimilar from a romantic relationship, right? What are the things that keep a couple close? They go on dates. You know, they, they maintain constant communication. Um, they don't see other employers, you know, <laughs> you know, they, they, they remain very, very close with each other. So to translate that to our environment, what we do is, is, you know, we, we do a lot of things together. We, you know, personally and professionally, you know, every single employee in our company, before they join the organization, they have an opportunity to participate in a group interview that ensures that they are actually able to mesh well, you know, their personality with the group. And, you know, that's, that's something that isn't necessarily measurable in a test, but if you can't get along with your coworkers, you're not going to last long. You know, study after study shows that the reason people leave organizations is largely due to their relationship with their supervisors and their coworkers. You know, if you love your coworkers, we've all stayed in a job that we hated because we like the people around us, right? And so, you know, we want to be, we want to, we don't want to be the company that people hate to work for, but stay because of the people. But, you know, it, it certainly helps to get through those bad days. And so um, the other thing we do that's one of our big practices that we learn um, from the Ritz-Carlton is, is we have a daily lineup call with every single member of our field staff. And so because we're in Southern California, and for those people that have ever been here or lived here, you know, if you live 10 miles away from your office, you have to leave like the night before to get to the office sometimes <laughs> because of traffic and all kinds of stuff, right? And so as a result, we don't get to see each other as often as we'd like. More and more of our staff is telecommuting or just working in the field. And so every single morning, we start our day at 730 with a phone call. And that phone call consists of motivational messages. Like we have a daily like devotional style message about one of our service values. Uh, we give the staff an opportunity to recognize one of their team members for embodying that service value of the day. And then we actually discuss any, any issues. You know, we spend five or 10 minutes discussing issues. And then we close our call with each member of the team expressing some form of gratitude for something in their personal or professional life and stating their number one thing that would make today a success. 
And so every single member of our tribe walks away every single day knowing exactly what today would look like to become a success and, you know, being connected with their team and having the resources that they need. And that really keeps yeah. us dialed in. And I, it's been a huge thing for us. Yeah. Hey, so Carly, I, I would say. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to say. I was just going to say, say, it like, sounds like you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you go. That, that's gonna, this, is gonna be, this is going to be on our bloopers episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, it sounds like you're intentional and explicit with everyone at the company about the importance of, of keeping the culture. And I'm really Absolutely. impressed by that. You know, yeah. Love that. You know, Carly, I think for your listeners, I think that that daily lineup call that we actually took from the Rich Carlton, we, we went to Rich Carlton, and you could actually pay a few thousand dollars to take a, a two-day training course. And they basically pull the curtains back and they teach you how they have become the Rich Carlton and how they continue to have five-star level service. And they teach all kinds of different companies how to do so. And so we've taken that information, reverse engineered it into ours because we, we knew that, number one, we wanted that kind of uh, level of service. Number two, we were going after the high net worth, and we knew that we needed to know that same language as, as they did. Uh, but the one more thing I would add to, for a takeaway for your listeners is that, you know, we have created a vision for the team. And so, you know, the Bible says that, you know, without a vision, people will perish. And I feel like, you know, in, in these small little cultures, you know, whether someone's a manager and they're leading, a, a, you know, three people, they still have the ability to paint a vision, even though they may not be the owner, they can still paint a vision for their core group and lead them to that vision. And I think people love to rally around that. And, and one of the questions that we ask is we say, hey, look, here's our vision. And we started to decide to go out to the high net worth market. And we, we had reasons why we want to do that. The question was, Number one, do you believe we can do it collectively? And number two, will you follow us? And that, those are the two questions we ask. And so once we were able to get buy-in from them, like now it's their vision too. And we just rally behind that. And that really is what got us momentum. And from there, we started to add these little features like these daily lineup calls and other things that we learned from you know, other um, Fortune 500 companies. We pulled these little bits and pieces in to help strengthen our culture. Um, so yeah, I think those couple takeaways can really add value to your listeners. Yeah, so I'm, I'm curious. Um, as you were developing your your thoughts around building this kind of culture, how, how much of it had to do with your experience knowing that in your line of work, you're dealing with homeowners and customers um, when they're extremely vulnerable? you know, after a big claim when, you know, when they potentially are homeless, like how much of that influenced how you decided to um, design your, your, your own internal culture? Yeah, I think that, I, I think that's something that we're constantly thinking about because one of our biggest struggles is the fact that, you know, when we enter a home that's burned down or that's had a significant flood, it might be the 10th one that week. But for most homeowners and most property owners, they will experience at most one claim of any significance, right? Uh, you know, th this is typically the first and last time they're dealing with that. And so it's really critical that we do develop an empathy in our culture. Like a high level of emotional intelligence is absolutely critical. And our entire vision is built around that idea. 
is that we, in fact, the word emotional actually appears in our vision statement, that we know we create emotional experiences. It is not uncommon for our staff to cry with our, with our insurers. Like they, there are moments in somewhere along the line where an emotional thing will occur. We've brought, we've brought psychologists actually into our office to train on, you know, how to deal with people going through these crises. Um, we've had multiple psychologists and we've taken them through trainings to develop those kinds of emotional things. And so when we're building a culture, that level of empathy is absolutely critical in everything that we do. Our language tends to wax a little bit more flowery than most construction companies, right? We are, we're contractors, but we're not afraid to hug each other. You know, that, that's going to be really critical for us. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's easy to hire people that, uh, that we believe have a high level of empathy. Um, and we do have a few of those on our staff, but there are many more that have to be trained on how to have more skilled empathy, which is why we bring in experts to, to help us I all love with that. that you, I love that you recognize that you can train on empathy. I think a lot of people, uh, in the business world believe that it's either ingrained in someone or not. And just mm -hmm. like charisma, the research shows that it can be taught and you can develop those skills. So that's, I think that's fantastic. Uh, you Absolutely. know, and I think that Carly, okay. it's so good. I mean, I just want to share one example. We had um, the psychologist come in and, and here we have, you know, I don't know, I think three gals and maybe five guys and you know, everyone, for the most part, it's kind of skeptical, like, okay, what's she going to teach us and what's this going to be about? Well, after about 10 minutes, uh, she took a tennis ball and she shared a very um, intimate, personal experience of her own life. And she says, now I'm going to pass this tennis ball to the next person. And I want this person to honor that as well as my, these are my personal feelings that are going to stay within this group. And then I'm going to ask you to share something too. And Carly, when it was all said and done, everyone was in tears. I'm telling you, it was amazing. And this was a practice of, wow, you know, even the, 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 the big, heavy contractor guy who's like, you know, he's a tough dude. He's crying. He's weeping. And it's, it was really interesting to see that it, just, it comes down to we're people. We're emotional beings. And to be able to connect at that level and then transition that into our homeowners and what they experience, it really draws them into just somebody thinks to say, okay, I could, I could tap into these feelings or to these emotions and it's okay to feel this. And it really just opened the door. So I, I, do, I do agree with you wholeheartedly that it's something that can be taught. Yeah, and I, I think that I, I do want to say that what Opie just said is so powerful, so important. And there's probably someone sitting somewhere thinking, oh, that's really like, that really sounds hokey pokey and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, is that kind of thing going to translate to our culture? But if you're, if you've ever experienced a service issue with a customer or a client or with a coworker, any sense of, of disagreement or misunderstanding, develop these, developing these kinds of empathic skills, like you said already, Carly, can absolutely be taught and, and B, absolutely will minimize the amount of conflict within your organization. If you're intentional with your communication, if you're, if you're being mindful of how the other person is feeling as you're communicating, all of those skills and talents will minimize internal and external conflict and maximize customer service. It, it's, it's something that, even though it sounds like it's really hippy-dippy, really actually impacts your bottom line as well. 
how does how does that culture then translate to claims like how take me through the process of showing up and walking you know working working with the homeowner um, to handle a claim what's the difference between a well-handed well-handled claim and a poorly handled claim that you've seen in the industry so I will you know, say Tim, I, I, um, oh, go, go ahead, ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, recently we had an example where we actually hired someone from one of our biggest competitors, one of the biggest organizations, and he went on a ride along with one of our, our senior estimators. And he was so shocked to see the way that that walkthrough progressed, because when we hire an estimator, typically, you know, they think their job is to write estimates. So he's supposed to get in there and, and just churn out his estimate, needs an estimate factory and get it done and get it out and be finished. But he was shocked to see that the project manager, when he goes in, he has a checklist. And the first item on his checklist is put your pen and your clipboard down and listen to the homeowner tell their story. And what you're listening for, and, and before they leave, they're going to identify the three to five items that they would need to do in order to turn this homeowner into a raving fan of Allied Restoration. They actually document those things prior to the file being transitioned over to a superintendent who would manage the actual construction. And so they're saying like, what are the things? And those things are typically not anything to do with construction. They're like, you know, don't let my dog out or, you know, be, you know, be mindful of, of this area and clean this after you're done. And, you know, one time I had construction done and this was done and I didn't like it. And so he was surprised to see how slow and methodical. And again, like, like Carly had said earlier, this is something that was taught. Like this is something that is a process. It's a system and it's deeply ingrained in them. And so I would say that a claim handled well is, is handled by a person who's constantly saying, how does this feel and look to my client? What is it that they need at this very moment that I can provide? And every member of our team is actually empowered to do that. We recently, you know, to share one other example, we, you know, uh, last Mother's Day, when a member of our team actually on her own put together a list of all of the kitchens that were compromised uh, on Mother's Day. And she said, hey, these are all the mothers that we're doing claims for. And I, I called all of their sons and I found out their favorite restaurants. And with your permission, I'd like to send them a $100 gift card to every single one of their favorite individual restaurants. And she'd done all the legwork. And this was totally unprompted. Like that wasn't something that we asked her to do or, you know, we it, was, it wasn't my idea as much as I'd love to take credit for it. It was just that level of empathy. What can I do to really serve my client right now? Yeah. And, and I must say, uh, to add to that, we do let our staff know that we, we encourage them to look for opportunities like that, that we can invest back into their, the, our customers' lives. And so we open the door for those things. You know, many times I think some employees will bring a very, very significant and great idea to their supervisor. And because they don't have the funds or the permission to execute, it gets put on the shelf. But many times the best ideas will come internal come from the internal people like that's where the best ideas come from and so it's not necessarily hiring the new ceo or the new supervisor the manager it is within the army that the best ideas come from and that was a, a very good example and made such a great impact in these in these families you know not only for for the mothers but for the children and for the overall claims experience um because when it's all said and done you know they want to, the homeowner is going to remember how they felt. They're not going to remember everything that went through on the job process. They're going to remember how they, 
how they ended up feeling through the process. And uh, that's what we try to capitalize on because uh, we know that if they can end this entire claim process, is, is you know, it's going to be up and down with the adjuster, with the broker that might be involved, with the mortgage company that's involved. Overall, we want them to feel better having known that they walked through this process with Allied Restoration. That's in, that's in, that's really remarkable, and I'm curious when you're how do you train managers? It, it would seem that you're you're going to get big enough. It's going to be difficult. You know, you guys have so much passion for what you're doing. How do you train your managers to then pass that down? You know, down the line. Yeah, great so question. I, I, I think that yeah. Go ahead, Tim. Go ahead. Okay, so I, I was just going to say that. That is one of the biggest reasons we almost entirely have to promote from within because there, there's almost, I, I don't know that we could ever successfully bring an outsider in that would have been indoctrinated enough as fast as they would need to be in order to get on that level. Uh, I will say that it is impossible to work for Allied Restoration for longer than three months without drinking the Kool-Aid. Like if you're not if you're not ready to get an allied restoration after three uh, tattoo after three months, there's a good chance you've left. Like you're either going to be crazy <laughs> as us or you're going to run for the hill screaming, which is, is by design. You know, we, we know that and we don't want to change it. We want, we want people that are going to buy them. So that, that being said, by the time someone gets into management, they've, they've thoroughly drank the, uh, the Kool-Aid as it were. So. Yeah. And you know, we, we'd love to take credit to say like, you know, we are self-sufficient. These are all our ideas, and we're the ones who, who continue to, uh, to teach and, and grow our own staff. But the reality is, um, last year, we spent over $65,000 in mentors, in, in leadership, in culture, in profitability. And we spend that money. And so what happens is we spend that money, and we come back, and we, we invest it right back into our people with those tools with those things that we learned. And so um, the last couple of years, uh, I've been taking Tim with me to these conferences. Um, you know, they're so expensive that typically it's one person that goes, but the reality is there's so much power in bringing uh, in your key um, executives. And so a few years ago, I brought Tim in. I said, look, you've got to join me. We've got to do this. And then that, that just propelled us even faster. And now, we have another um, mentor in our, in our company that's mentoring two other people. And he's going to be joining us this year to go to these events. There's four, there's, in this case, there's a, it's a four-day event. And um, it's about culture and passion and leadership. And really builds them up as well because there's only so much we can do to, to bring back and say, hey, guys, these are the things that we learned. But when they experience it too, it just it gives us that much more momentum and leverage and so we continue to, you know, going back to your question, how do we teach the managers? We continue to, you know, have them grow with us and learn the things that we learn. So together we can, we can work together, grow together in one movement versus just do what I tell you to do, you know? Right. So we, uh, we expose them as well. Yeah, so OP, um, so could, you, could you share a couple of those kinds of conferences, you know, where um, – where are you where are you getting this motivation and then you know in as you as you then turn around and train it to your staff 
you, you know, what, 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 how are you processing that? What kind of conferences are you looking at? Um, can, can you share a couple names of either conferences or materials that you use? Because this is a really fascinating topic, and I don't think we go into it as as deeply as we should. We're, you know, I, I, we've barely talked about insurance, and we've spent almost uh, half an hour just talking about culture. Oh, that's true. You know, um, so, you know, I grew up on government cheese and food stamps. So my drive is I never want to be in poverty ever again in my life, period. And so at an early age, I began to look for people that I could copy. Like, okay, that person has a well-paying job. They drive a nice car. It was that, it was that you know, surface level. And so when I found out what they did, um, I started going to the conferences that they went to. There, some of them were free. And there's, there's you know, quite a few free conferences if you look around. And one of them was about real estate and leadership. And once I got exposed to real estate leadership, I bumped into this guy you may have heard about. His name is Tony Robbins. Bumped into him. And when I, when I saw what he was able to deliver, I bought some of, his, some of his audio tapes. When I was able to afford to go to one of his events, I did. And that just propelled me to say, okay, there's more to life than we give ourselves credit for. You know, instead of living this, this eight to five life, we can actually experience life at a much higher level with more passion, more energy, more drive, and more things to, to go out there and do. Because when it's all said and done, we've got one life to live. And uh, my little brother, Victor, who was my business partner, he passed away at the age of 39. And so that's drilled in me even more so now that we've got to get busy about whatever it is that drives us. And for me, it's my business. And we're driven that way. So a few of the conferences that really have impacted my life and the life here of, of Tim and, and everyone here at Allies is the, um, when my little brother Victor passed away, we were doing $2 million in revenue. We started to drop down because clients were not giving us any more work because they were trying to give me space to mourn. And, uh, you know, his, his widow was losing his house, her, her house, and uh, the kids were wondering why God would let their father die. You know, there were 10, 15 at the time. My mother is got shingles all over her body. She doesn't know what's going on. And we are in chaos in the business. Mm. And I knew that I had to seek out mentors. And I said, okay, you know what? I've got to step up. No one's going to step up if I don't. So I spent $10,000 for four days. And I went to the Tony Robbins event. It was called Business Mastery in 2010. And it was, was powerful. It was like drinking out of a fire hydrant. There were so many business ideas that I could bring back to our business, but I clung onto one. And one of those business ideas was called the core story. And the core story delivery was really what um, Tim and I have cultivated. Now Tim is a master at it. And the core story really is us being able to take our clients and say, number one, what if we had to pick 50 clients that could move the needle of our business and they're called the dream clients, who would they be? And that's when we decide, okay, we're going to go after the high net worth and how are we going to get that kind of work? Because at the time, we had the recession going on and there was a lot of people taking their checks and not doing the work or doing the work, the work on their own, which we don't blame them, but there was a money crunch. But the rich didn't feel the money crunch. The wealthy people still need work to be done. 
they don't have cousins that, that can come and do the work. So we knew that that is a, a small break and a little cavity that we can go in and strike if we know how to get to those, to those people that serve those clients. And we went after those brokers. And we went after them with the story, basically how we could show them what's going on in their own business. So we didn't go in there and start talking about how great Allied was. We started to go in there and say, look, here's your competition. Here's your market share. Here's where you're leaving money on the table, Mr. Broker. And here's how you can serve your clients even better. So we educated them on their own business with over 300 hours of research that we did. And then that's, that's what's been propelling us to grow. And that was one of the biggest conferences. The next one is called CEO Warrior. And that's one that we're actively involved in right now. And, um, and that's, they give four seminars a year. And that's, that's so impactful for a leadership style, being able to lead our, our core group of people and deal with real life things that happen. You know, when, when they have personal days that are just terrible, we all, we all have those days and we bring them to work. And as much as we try to leave home at home and keep work at work, it, it all just flows together. And so a bad day at home equals a bad day or two or three at work. It just is life. And so those are the things that we've had to like work through and be able to, to understand that, you know, again, we're dealing with people. How can we lead them? How can we help them? What other things can we give them that they see benefits of being um, more connected to allied? What other features can we bring to them? So that way their family can feel the impact of being with a good company. And so those are the two uh, biggest conferences that are, are, I think are the biggest game changers for us and have moved the needle uh, of our company. So Tim, you and I actually have something very unique in common. Um, each of us has lost more than a hundred pounds in weight at one point in our lives. I am, yes, sir. I am, uh, I'm, Love it. yeah, I'm, I'm curious I'm now, I'm trying to connect the dots here. Um, how much of that had to do with, you know, bumping into OP and kind of running this company and being exposed to a lot of this positive energy? You know, um, when did you start losing the weight? How did you do it? And how does that all tie into Allied Restoration? <laughs> sure. So actually, um, so OP and I, we worked together at the company he had previously been with where he was the vice president running the company. And I um, was just running marketing, uh, essentially in that company and also managing the office. So back then I was, I was in my peak, I was 450 pounds. And I've always, I, I've always been a student, you know, OP started the call by talking about the fact that, you know, a lot of us lack a formal education. Uh, even though we lack a formal education, you know, I don't think we're uneducated by any stretch of the imagination. We, we read, you know, I read 75 books a year minimum. Um, you know, OP's always reading. So I've always been into motivational, uh, reading since I was 18 years old. And I ended up getting hired by a guy that was really into Zig Ziglar, you know, old style motivation. Um, so I've really been into it. And OP and I, that was one of the first things that we connected when he was, you know, my manager all the way back then at that other company was we were both into the same sales trainings. We were both into the same motivation, um, which were, which were a huge way for us to connect. Uh, and in the interim, I knew he was going to start his own company. I was encouraging him to do so. I used to joke around with him that he was going to open it up and call it WD construction for world domination because that was always, you know, our, our method, you know, we're, we're going to dominate the world, you know, world domination construction. That was going to be the name. 
he went with Allied instead. Whatever, that's fine. But um, <laughs> it's still a great organization. Obviously, <laughs> I was excited to join it. So um, in between those two companies was when I actually started losing my weight, and uh, I basically had hit uh, a place where enough was enough. And uh, I guess I'll just plug the fact that I, I did give a TEDx talk about this. If anyone wants to listen to more about kind of the story and my my method and my why, um, but it, it was all drawn off of that that motivational stuff that did lay the groundwork for me to build my own framework and to develop my systems for losing weight. And I did end up losing, you know, 250 pounds, ended up having all my skin removed. But I will say the biggest thing that OP did for me with respect to the weight loss was, you know, he has, he's really pushed me and inspired me to be a a more motivating and inspiring person. And he encourages me to share my story and to talk a lot about weight loss. And that gave me a platform that eventually led to uh, a reality TV show appearance where I had all my loose skin removed on TV uh, which is just obviously an amazing opportunity to have done. So, uh, you know, OP's always been huge for that. That's fantastic. So that's a marvelous story. Um, yeah, I, I, I can I can look back at my life, and I, I got up to 300 pounds, and I just remember just being horrified. And um, it was a it was a long road. But um, you know, it, it was it was so worth it, and uh, yeah, I've gained I've gained a few back. But in in the back of my mind, I know that I can do it. Like it's yeah, it's a challenge, but I did it once. I can do it again. You know that type of thing. So, congrats to you. We will put the uh, the TEDx talk. I will put the link up on the show notes um, when this goes live. So if you're listening to this, uh, go to the show notes, and you can. Uh, uh, you, you'll be able you'll be able to to see Tim's uh, talk uh, TED talk on this. So that's that's marvelous. Um, wow, we went we went through like a whole episode. And we barely talked about insurance, which means <laughs> we're gonna have to invite you guys back at some point, or I'll come out to California interview you guys live. Um, but uh, we'd love for, to have you for the audience. Absolutely, this is the part of the show where we where we go. We have a game called Rank the Risk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the audience is now getting from, familiar with this now, so I'll, uh, I'll cut the music short there. Um, it's, a, it's a quick game that we play where we try to enlighten the audience and the guests and myself. I love doing the research on this um, and get a couple tidbits that's related. I, I put it closer to uh, – I try to put it – towards the uh, field of the guests. So it is claims related. And uh, I will ask uh, two questions. Uh, each of them has four options. And you, uh, you, uh, Tim, OP, and Carly, you will rank the risk from most severe to least severe for each of the questions that I ask. You guys ready? Right on. Okay. Here we are. We're ready. Let's go. Uh, this question is from a data set that I got from the uh, Insurance Information Institute. It's for the period of 2010 to 2014. Actually, both questions are 2010 to 2014 data sets. And I want each of you to rank the following claims type by average claim severity. So I'm going to give you four options. I want you to rank them from highest to lowest, the following claims types by average claim severity. The first claim type is wind and hail. The second is water damage and freezing. The third is bodily injury and property damage. So these are homeowners claims. 
Let me clarify that. And the fourth is fire, lightning, and debris removal. So I want you to rank them by the average claims severity. Wind and hail, water damage and freezing, bodily injury and property damage, and fire, lightning, and debris removal. So I'll throw it over to OP. You go first. Which, which of those four okay. has the highest average claim severity? So when you say uh, highest average claim severity, we're talking about money? Yes. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to say fire. And second? Wind and hail. And third? Water damage, freezing pipes. And that would leave bodily injury and property damage for four. Okay. Yep. Tim, how about you? I think I'm going fire and then water and then bodily injury and then wind and hail. Carly? I think you looked at my list. I said the same as Tim. So fire, oh. water, bodily injury, and wind and hail? Yes. Okay. Uh, you you all deserve a round of applause for hold on uh, fire <laughs> fire fire by far has the uh, highest yeah. average claim severity it wasn't even close uh, from 2010 wow. to 2014 the average claim at the average fire claim was forty thousand dollars. Mm. Second was bodily injury and property damage at at uh, about $20,500. $20, then third was wind and hail at just over $8,000. And fourth Whoa. was water damage and freezing at just under $8,000. So wind, hail, wind and hail and water and freezing were roughly the same but by this this kind of jumped off the page for me cuz I I didn't expect this. I I thought wind and hail would have the highest severity because I figured they were occurring during tornadoes and hurricanes, but, um, and maybe the, because it's 2010 to 2014, it was a light year for hurricanes. Um, but five claims are pretty common in the Midwest and not terribly severe. Usually. Okay. Would be yeah, my California too. Yeah. We, we get a lot of wind claims out here as well that gets submitted and they're just like a few shingles off of a roof or yeah. something like that where somebody's trying to basically get a whole roof replaced and they just they find out that they can't get their whole roof replaced because it got windy one night so that is that's pretty common yeah so you, you know i do these questions um almost as much for me as i do for the guests so i learned something um yeah so now i'm going to go to question number two which is the exact same question, except in, I want you to rank those same claim type claims types by frequency. So wind and hail, water damage and freezing, bodily injury and property damage, and fire, lightning, and debris. And this is just uh, aggregate frequency, the total number of claims. Um, what's that? Bodily injury and property damage include med pay. Probably. Okay. Probably. So let's start with you, Carly. You went last last time. Uh, can you rank these by frequency? Uh, BIMPD. Okay. And wind and hail. Okay. Water damage and freezing, fire, lightning, and debris. 
Okay. Uh, Tim? Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm actually, I think I'm going water on type here, or water on top, water and freezing. And then I'll do the, the I need the acronym that Carly used so I can look as uh, insurance educated about this. <laughs> what was the acronym? BIP something. BIP something. PD. Are you yeah. down with BITD? Yes. Yeah, you know me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so that'll be my number two. And then uh, we will get um, the wind and hail underneath that one and then fire last. Okay. OP? Okay, so Tim's description was exactly what I wrote down. So, so it's uh, water damage, bodily injury, wind and hail, and fire and lightning. Okay. Well, how, how do we do? Yeah, wind and hail first. Um, Darn it. Yeah. Ow. Wind and hail averages. So this this is uh, 2010 to 2014. So maybe this isn't, uh, you know, the infinite time series. But wind and hail averages about 3% of the claims in that period. Then followed by water damage and freezing at around 2% of the claims. Number three was fire, lightning, and debris removal at... Point, wow. point four percent of the claims. Interesting. And uh, for you, Tim, BIPD, it's not down with me. one percent of the claims. So, so what this says is I that. I think you misled me, Nick. Well, I don't think I did. I, th I think I was pretty clear on the question. Um, don't blame me if you get it wrong. So. so love it. Is a not at fault coverage, so I would expect it to be. It's, it's pretty frequent. But yeah, but if clearly, you're claiming clearly it's not that frequent. But not as frequent as fire. When it does, <laughs> when it does happen, the claims are big. So uh, bodily injury, BI and PD happens 0.1 percent of uh, of the time, and uh, has. Tw about you know twenty thousand dollars in in average claim, fire is 0.4 percent, and that has about a forty thousand dollar average claim, and then you have the wind and hail. So um, you put those, you put all of that together, and the aggregate fire losses and the aggregate casualty losses for homeowners aren't that great. It it is wind and hail and water damage that has the really the the bet the the worst mm -hmm. combination of frequency and severity. And uh, and that's why the cat models always start with uh, wind uh, when they're, when they're yeah. looking at cat. So um, because Carly was, was, uh, was negative towards me with the way I asked the question, I'm, I'm going to boo her. <laughs> <laughs> you, do, you do not, you, you do not upset the the host when he's asking the questions. This, these are just common That's questions. Right. I spent a lot of time researching. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I want to see the part of Jeopardy where the contestants get to argue with Alex Trebek. Like I, I'm, I'm hoping that's a thing. I think that they're really missing out. That's the most fun part. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it should be like a, it's like a Jeopardy feud. Like it's kind of a mashup of the two, uh -huh. like Family Feud and Jeopardy. Oh, I would love I want that. that. That's a great idea. Yeah. That's a great idea. I'm copywriting it. Alex, I completely disagree. Here's why. <laughs> um, Tim, OP, how can people reach you? 
Yeah, so um, yeah, they can reach us, reach me on my email, op at alliedrestoration.com. Uh, that's going to be the, the best way. And, you know, we're, we're happy to respond to your listeners with whatever questions they have. Really, you know, our second business, which is called Restoration Mastery, we teach other restoration companies and vendors that serve restoration companies how to improve their culture, their profit, their, uh, their systems, because part of what we're driven by is to help other people grow and, um, and not make the mistakes that we did and get to a better place a lot faster. Uh, so we're open. We're open to communicate, to help in whatever way we can um, to improve the experience in our insurance industry. Um, I love what you guys are doing. I think it's, it's, it's been needed for a long time, and thank you guys for making the investment of your time, energy, and money to make this thing work because I can guarantee you there are people that are listening that are really getting benefit from what you guys are doing, and you know, we're, we're kindred spirits with you guys and uh, believe in the same like-minded mission. Thank you guys very much. Well, I appreciate for that. Sure. Thank uh, you. Yeah, I appreciate those. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm T. Bauer at Allied Restoration as well. T and then B-A-U-E-R, or just Tim at Allied Restoration. I actually copied, I took that email address recently because everybody just kept emailing Tim at. Um, so that one works as well. But I would love to hear from anybody. If uh, anyone has any questions about anything we shared today, we'd love to, love to give more. Well, our guest for this episode has been Tim Bauer and O.P. Almaraz of Allied Restoration Services. Tim and O.P., thank you so much for being on the show. And Carly, thanks for guest hosting. Thank you, Nick. Have a good weekend. It's been a pleasure. Okay, guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Nick and Carly. Thank you so much. Okay.